When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit Amfem.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Hello and welcome to a new podcast, The Paddock and the Pavilion with Stephen Wallace. In each show, Stephen will interview someone connected to the world of horse racing or cricket. Hello everyone. On today's show... I'm joined by the paddock and the pavilion's cricketing expert, former England international Roland Butcher, to discuss England's recent test series against India. Welcome back to the paddock and the pavilion, Roland. Thank you, Stephen, and always a great pleasure. Well, thank you very much for joining me again. I understand it's very hot and sunny in Barbados. Yes, I mean, for the last four or five weeks, it really has been sort of over 30 degrees, so it's pretty warm. Um, The worst thing about it is that not a lot of breeze, so that's making it quite uncomfortable. Uh, well, it's, it wasn't too good here yesterday. We had rain all day, but it's uh, brightening up, and September is supposed to be a decent month, but not in the 30s like you with uh, no no uh, no breeze. But let's get the easiest question out of the way first. Uh, the old Trafford tests, what, what were your thoughts at the time and now about uh, what happened? Well, it was very, very unfortunate that what transpired um, at Old Trafford. Obviously, the game not being played, that was very unfortunate because I think the series was shaping up and that test really would have made a, a huge difference to the series. Up till then, um, you've had some good cricket. India had two fantastic wins. And in between that, England had a fantastic win as well. 2-1 going into the final one. Obviously, India would have been buoyed by their results. England would have wanted to salvage something from the series. So it was really going to be a grand occasion. And it was very, very unfortunate that circumstances conspired um, to ensure that that test match didn't take place. But what do you think yourself were the, the main reasons? Well, from afar, it, obviously, it is, it is much more difficult than, I guess, people on the ground who would have a much more closer view of things but I guess the reality is that the test was cancelled because you know you believe that you know people may have there was no as far as I know there was no conclusive evidence that um, the Indian players had COVID and was unable to make the start in 11. Um, If there is maybe somebody can tell me but I haven't heard anything to the contrary. Um, so really, that that really was the strange thing about it is that because you think something might be the case, that the test is called off. So do you think the IPL played a big part in it? Well, it certainly leaves that question open because even if the IPL didn't play any part in it, then 
people still would believe because where the IPL is situated in the schedule, you know, people would believe that the two things are connected. Uh, the only people that would really know um, if that's the case, I guess, would be the Indians. Um, they would be the only ones who can tell you, well, um, not that they would if that was the case, that the IPL was a big player in this. But it leaves that question open for people to jump to conclusions. And many, many people have. I mean, in the, Indian, the Indian players had been here for a considerable period of time. And um, I don't know what you would have felt like, but it can't be easy living in a bubble for that length of time. No, it can't be. But before you set out on the venture, you know that there's five test matches. So whether the, it's uncomfortable for you, you know, you knew that the period of time that you would be expected to be away from home, you'd be expected to be operating under circumst- certain circumstances in the bubble. So that was something that was known beforehand. I, I don't think halfway through that you would say to yourself, well, this is not for me. I'm not saying that the Indians said that, but, you know, if you sign on to an assignment, um, you know, really it is for the duration. It may be difficult and you would expect it to be difficult because we are living in some difficult times and particularly for sport where um, these bubbles have to be created. It's a very lonely place and, you know, being away from home as well. But I think also I understand that the Indians had their families with them. So maybe um, it is not as bad as those teams that have to travel and travel without their, their families. And of course, England um, uh, came back from South Africa with similar sort of concerns as well. Yes, I mean, obviously, you know, that they had similar concerns. Uh, and But I am not sure whether England said they couldn't field the team. Um, I guess, um, you know, they probably took the decision that, you know, this is perhaps too much of a risk um, and we're not going to play. But... You know, some of the things that I've been reading, I, I, I'm reading that India couldn't feel the team. I mean, that that is something completely different, if that is the case. Um, by all means, saying the situation is too risky um, for our players to play in this environment. But it shouldn't have anything to do with the fact that you, you, you cannot put out a team when um, none of the team have tested positive. In fact, they've all tested negative. And what do you think the outcome of uh, the result will be? It might take two or three years. Well, it, it, it really leaves the, the ICC uh, with a dilemma because, you know, England is not going to want a situation where the series finished now, the record says they've lost 2-1. Um, they're not going to be happy with that. And India are not going to be happy with a decision forfeited the game, thereby victory to England, series 2-2. They're not going to be happy with that. So, you know, neither party are going to be happy. So I think the ICC really are going to have to be the ones who will, you know, ultimately make the decision on whether, one, it's a forfeiture, um, two, a postponement, and three, whether the game will be replayed. Yeah, there is a possibility of playing this Test match uh next year, but it won't quite be the same as a 2-1 series position, will it? No, because, I mean, the, the sides could be completely different. <laughs> you know, you could have um, a whole new England side, you could have a whole new India side. It's, um, 
it wouldn't be the same, but it may just well be the the most amenable solution to this difficult problem. Well, let's turn to the actual cricket. I mean, some have said it's the best series in England since the 2005 Ashes. Straightforward question, but lots of, of answers, really. What was the difference between the two sides? Really, the difference between the two sides was, I think, the inability of the England early batsmen to really conquer the, the Indian bowlers. England had problems right throughout the series, particularly with their opening partnership, which is a, a vital part of, of any test team. Your opening partners, um, they set the game up for the others. And, you know, when you're losing wickets and both openers regularly, you know, that sets the team back. The other thing was, obviously, in critical moments of the game, um, the Indian bowlers particularly stepped up um, and put in some phenomenal performances that kept England under pressure. But I think a combination of terrific cricket by India and also some very average early batting um, by England contributed really to, in actual fact, a very pulsating series. Yeah, you mentioned those sort of pressure, pressure situations where at Lords India bowled us out on the last day for in 51 overs and then in the fourth test at the Oval, from being 100 for no wicket, we were bowled out for 210. Yes, I mean, again, the Oval really, England had the chance to get very far ahead of that game because, you know, they were well set. I remember when Moen Ali was, was batting things, you know, they were right in the game. Had, they really had India by the throat and just really needed to bat on for another hour and, and build a bigger partnership. And then a couple of, you know, pretty average shots um, put India back in the game. And once they saw the door open, you know, they just steamed through. And then obviously, you know, they were going to bat better. They were going to bat better in the second innings. You wouldn't expect that they were going to have two very average um, batting performances. And they certainly stepped up in the second innings with the bat, which then transferred the pressure back onto England in a sense that there was so much time left in the game that with the quality of bowlers that India have got and the variety of bowlers, you know, it meant it was going to be an uphill task one, for England to save the game, and two, to try and win it. So, you know, really that first innings performance with the bat got themselves in that position. I mean, are the Indian bowlers that just that being a bit quicker, you know, sort of nearly 90 mile an hour uh, compared to the England um, sort of mid-80s? Does that make a big difference? Yes, it makes a big difference, particularly when you've got a fragile batting lineup. You know, it may not make a huge difference if they're playing against a, a very powerful batting lineup, because then it becomes a very good contest. But against a team that is struggling for runs and form, you know, then it's, it's very important. And, you know, a lot of things played out against England this year, a lot of it of their own making. Um, obviously, the, the schedule this year really didn't allow people to get a lot of red ball cricket. And a five-match series against India, the last thing you want to do really is to go into a series on the court because you're playing against, you know, one of the best in the world. So that certainly was a mistake. And then, you know, if you put on top of that, um, you know, your, your batters of late struggling as well. And the loss of um, someone like, you know, Stokes, you know, who, who's a vital part of that team as a batsman, as a bowler and as an individual, 
you know, to lose someone like him and Joe for Archer as well, you know, that really would have impacted the team. But I think the batting really was a, a serious problem. Yeah, we've made quite a few changes with uh, Sibley, Crawley and Lawrence all being dropped. Uh, although you, you mentioned about the opening partners, uh, in the last two tests, Hamid and Burns put on century opening partnerships in, in both tests. Uh, were you impressed by Hamid as an opener? Yes, I thought they did uh, a, a, very, a good job. I think Burns is someone I have a lot of time for. He, he's very unorthodox, but I think he's, he's a, he has guts, he has character. Uh, he, you know, he's usually up for the fight. And I think he's someone that English should persevere with because, you know, it wasn't easy. Trust me, it wasn't easy playing against that India attack. But in those last two test matches, uh, both him and Hamid showed, you know, what was possible. That's the sort of form that they would have needed right at the start of the series. I think had that happened at the start of the series, I think England would have found themselves going into that last game in a much better position. I mean, two key players for the Indian side were KL Rahul and um, Rohit Sharma, who both scored over 300 runs. They, for very good T20 players, they showed very good technique against the uh, the new ball. Well, that's my point. You see, the, the, the opening partnership sets the game up. And, um, you know, Rohit and um, Rahul, either they did it together or one of them, got a score but the important thing was that one of them always got a big score and, and it put a lot of pressure even though India middle order didn't bat particularly well I mean Kohli got um, some average scores for himself um, Rahani um, also then you talk about Pant so you know their middle order also didn't step up but I think those two at the top you know they really made it a lot easier for the Indian batting I mean had those two failed, I think India would have been in a similar position to England. Um, they would have been struggling as well. But the openers played really well. And do England need the right conditions? We seem to be a better side when the overheads are in our favour. When we're playing at, in London, uh, where the wickets are drier, we don't seem to flourish like we do at you know, grounds like Headingley, where we bowled the Indians out for 78. Obviously, I think you miss you miss some of your cutting-edge bowlers you know, I think I think Joe for Archer would have had a big impact on this series. So he he was a huge loss. Um, so really, a lot of the load really had to be carried by the oldest man in the team, Jimmy Anderson. Which, you know, he really should be playing a part uh, this at this stage of his career, not playing the major part. So he had to step up and play the major part. So that you know that put a lot of pressure on the team. And whoops, came into the the piece again at the end. I'm not sure whether Wokes was injured or what the situation was, but I, I would have felt that with no stops, that he certainly was somebody that they needed and needed badly. And also, when you think people like Butler, you know, struggle with the bat um, in a critical position in, in the middle order, you know, it, it meant really that the England bowlers who were short of their best bowlers you know, always struggling. Yeah, Wokes had a heel injury for the first uh, three tests and without um, him and uh, Ben Stokes, it really throws the whole balance of the side out, I think. Well, it does. He, you know, as I said, as, and, and Archer, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure what people are thinking, but, you know, Archer gives them that X factor and, and it also 
inspires the other bowlers as well. So, you know, to lose him, you know, they really found it difficult to grip the, the opening partnership, as well as Anderson Ball. You know, the Indian opening partnership really set the games up nicely. And then the quality bowlers that they have finished it off. And from an England batting um, perspective, uh, Joe Root scored 564 runs. Our nearest batsman to him was Johnny Bairstow with just just over 180. Uh, how impressed were you with Joe Root? Oh, Joe Root for the last two years, really, his form has been phenomenal. Um, you know, how he can keep churning these big scores out time after time really tells you just how good a player he is. And you probably haven't seen the best of him yet. So, you know, England really need to keep him fit, both physically and mentally um, going forward, because he's such an important player in the team. He, he needs some help. Though. He, he needs somebody really to also step up and, you know, take some of that weight off his shoulders. Not that he's not able to carry the load, because he's shown over and over again that when things are tough, you know, he's the man to go to. But they need to find some people who can certainly assist him. I thought David Milan um, came in and looked very comfortable um, at this level again. You know, I, I think, you know, with a bit of luck and, and time, you know, he, he probably could take a bit of the load off as well. And um, if Hamid and, and Burns can continue, you know, that will give you, you know, some solidity at the top. So right now, the England batting really needs to, it needs to come together. You can see that it certainly needs some more glue, for sure. Yeah, well, Joe Root's now reached 9,000 test runs. He's scored over 1,200 runs this year in, in test matches. Um, England were top of the world in 2011, 10 years later. Are we where we are because we concentrated a bit too much on one-day cricket? We world champions in 2019? Well, you can. You can take your eye off the ball and then get distracted in certain um, directions. But I think England is a big enough place and really have enough cricket, cricketers that they should really be fighting and be able and capable of fighting on all fronts. I don't think that any particular segment of their cricket should suffer because, you know, you've, you've got a huge um, county set up. You've got players on central contracts. Um, you know, you've got a lot, a lot of resources. So, you know, England should really be able to fight more on all fronts, tests, ODI and, and T20. And then, you know, you know, they really have been fighting pretty much on all of those fronts. If, 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 you know, if you look really over the last few years in their performances in all three competitions, you will find that they're pretty much at the top in all three. We're moving forward to the Ashes, uh, starting hopefully in December. Firstly, do you think they'll go ahead? Again... That really will come down to things in Australia. Um, as you know, Australia is still very much in lockdown, borders closed, things not really good within the country itself. So I think those are things that will have to be taken into um, consideration. I, I'm certain that both boards will be trying their best to try and get this series to go ahead because it is not only an iconic series, it's a, it's a very valuable financial series, um, the Ashes, whether it's played in England or in Australia. So Australia certainly will not want to miss out on, on an Ashes, Ashes series against England. And vice versa, you know, England won't want to either. So both boards will work very hard to try and get this on. It will come down in the end really to, um, you know, the government's negotiations uh, with those boards 
and the people of Australia um, in relation to this whole COVID-19 uh, pandemic. And that really will be the deciding factor whether uh, the series goes, goes ahead or not. Well, let's hope it does go ahead. What do you think England's chances are in Australia? We haven't got a very good recent record out there. I think the chances without the top players um, to win the series will be very difficult. I mean, it's, it's bad enough and hard enough to try and win a series in Australia when you've got a powerful team, um, especially now when you've got a, a weakened side. I mean, if you've got no Stokes, um, if you've got no Archer, you're going to be under pressure, particularly with the batting that we've seen um, this this summer against India. You know, you're going to a lot of those players are going to be the same players. So against a rampant Australian team who will see the opportunity and want to seize that opportunity to win a series against a weakened England side, uh, they will be champing at the bits. I think England have got it all to do. It's going to be much harder for them than for the Australians. Um, if they come out of it, if it happens and they come out of it really without a, a good beating, I think they would have done well. You make a good point there. Without the like of Joffre uh, uh, Archer and Ollie Stone, who would obviously have been out there as well, England is England's bowling attack too samey for Australia? Well, you see, in terms of the bowlers, it, it would be a bit too samey because apart from Mark Wood, you know, you really don't have that express pace that you need um, in Australia. You know, it's doesn't always work, but it's always nice to have it up your sleeve. You know, if you could add a Joe for Archer to that squad and you had Stokes, the way um, Robinson is coming on, the way Overton is coming on, and Wokes, you know, you've got a good, a good pace attack that can push the Australians. It, was, it would then still come down to, can you put runs on the board? That's going to be really the big... Big question. It's okay having all of these fine bowlers, but if you're going to get ball out cheaply, you're going to be on the back foot because, you know, Australia have players, some seasoned players who are used to scoring big scores. So, you know, once they get in, they will get big scores. So I think England batting is going to be the key. Um, even with a very good bowling attack, their batting will be very much the key to the series. And what's the uh, prognosis of, of Joffre Archer? Do you think he can come back? be like he was before? It is very possible. I don't think, obviously, he will be any part of this Ashes series. Obviously, he's got to um, have a long period of rehab and try to get this thing sorted out once and for all. I, I, I suspect that he will, you know, he will come back and whether he will have the same impact that he's had in an early test and international career, nobody really knows. But I'm sure that he will recover in time. I think the important thing for him now is to ensure that he doesn't rush back um, too soon. Um, I actually saw him last week here in Barbados, so you know, he, he's, you know, he's still on his rehab and, and obviously looking forward to the day when he can play again, but my advice to him really was that you know, you, you've got to ensure when you come back this time that you know, your body can really um, handle the rigours and don't come back too soon. Yeah, well, let's hope he's back for next summer. Now, now you've been busy as well because you were commentating. Which games did you do? Well, I commentated on the Australian um, 
matches and also the Pakistan matches as well. So, you know, those were the latest internationals that we had um, in the region. And even though Australia with a weakened side was still able to uh, to win the series, and obviously Pakistan, unfortunately for them, the series was badly interrupted by rain. Uh, they ended up winning the series, you know, 1-0. Um, there was a game cancelled in Barbados, obviously because of a member of the management staff for CWI um, having a COVID, a positive COVID test, which um, looked in the end as if it was a false positive. But they cancelled one of the games as a result of that, which uh, shortened the tour. And then the games in Guyana was Pakistan won the first one there. And then all the others really were interrupted by rain. So it was a pretty unsatisfactory um, series. But what I would say is um, I thought Pakistan had a young team and a, and a good young team. And they look as if that team, you know, could be a threat um, in the World Cup. But as with Pakistan, when things are going well, uh, something always happens unexpectedly. And then as soon as the series is finished, um, the coach, you know, the coach and the, the two coaches, actually, in the bowling coach, obviously <laughs> resign their positions. So they're now under new coaches and have to start all over again, which is a shame because, you know, I thought they were a good unit here in, in the Caribbean. They were going in the right direction. Um, they look very cohesive, um, outfit. They bowl exceptionally well, and I think Wakara would have had a big say in that. And they looked, for me, a, a team that you could really have an outside bet on um, in, the, in the World Cup. But we'll have to wait and see now they're under new management. You were talking about a T20 series against Pakistan there, uh, a one-day international series against Australia, which the Australians won 2-1, and the West Indies comprehensively beat the Australians 4-1 in the T20 series. And you also played two test matches against Pakistan with a 1-1 um, series result. Yeah, as I mean, as I said, um, you know, I thought Pakistan played really well in, in the Caribbean. You know, the the young players, you know, stood up. And as a bowling unit, you know, they also did very well. So I, I will be watching closely how they perform in, in this World Cup. And how have the West Indies been shape, shaping up? You've got this young... Uh, Fast bowler Jaden Seals, who's only just 20, and he got to, has got 16 wickets in his first four Test matches. Yeah, he's a young prospect, a good young prospect. Uh, still a bit early to say exactly, you know, how he's going to go because, as you know, this game is a great leveler. But you know, the start that he's made so far is very encouraging. I think he's someone that has to be looked after and used um, wisely. Um, you don't want to burn him out at such a young age. Um, you know, he's shown that you know, he has got some good skills about him. So, you know, if he continues to develop, then really, you know, he will be a fine for the West Indies and hopefully um, somebody that will be in the team for a long time. But he certainly made a good start. And talking about the T20 World Cup, what are the prospects for the West Indies? This competition starts in middle, middle late October. Well, the West Indies have put their eggs um, all in one basket. They're all you know, trying to win this particular uh, World Cup. They brought back a lot, a lot of the older, more experienced players. Um, whether that is a good thing or not, we, we will see. I, I, 
you know, I certainly would like to see them change the approach that I have seen throughout this summer. I mean, they had 15 um, T20s over the summer, and the all-out attack approach, certainly with a bat, is something that I would like to see tempered, because uh, what you saw was, you know, a team that on their day could be fantastic, but every day is not going to be a good day. So for them to really do well in this series, they're going to have to play a different brand of cricket to what they want to play or what they're accustomed to playing. Uh, because, you know, these players, while they're experienced, they're, a lot of them are certainly the back end and I would say the end of their career because following this World Cup, I would expect five or six of these players you won't see, you wouldn't see again. So they're really banking on the all-experienced guard to pull them through. So were you surprised to see Chris Gale keep his place in the, in the actual World Cup squad? Yes, I was. Um, because... I don't think the Chris Gale in 2021 is not the Chris Gale that we have known in the past who, you know, struck fear in, in the bowlers. Um, you know, he's obviously nearly 42. Reflexes are certainly a lot slower, as you would expect for somebody who's getting older. And, you know, he just hasn't put the runs on the board to, to suggest that, you know, he will do it consistently. So, yeah, I was a bit surprised that he actually made the final cut. And I was surprised that Jason Holder is only an injury cover. Yeah, that's really is a, a big shock for a lot of people in the Caribbean because, uh, you know, Jason Holder, you know, is one of the better cricketers or run cricketers in the Caribbean. Um, he would have added a little bit more of the balance that I'm asking for in the team in that he would not be blasting away like Lewis and Simmons and and um, Pollard and Russell and 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 the likes. You know, he would bring a, a calmer um, head to the batting, uh, and also with the bowling. I mean, really, West Indies could have utilised him as the bowler who bowls his first his four overs up front. You know, he he, he tends to struggle more when he comes back at the back end. Of the of the innings, so it would be better to have had him up front, let him bowl his four overs. That's how I would have seen his position in the squad, and and also you cannot take out his his boundary feeling. I mean, his catching is quite amazing. Well, the action starts, I think, on the seventeenth of October, and the West Indies are due to play England on the twenty third of October. So, do you think the West Indies can win the competition, England or Australia? Who do you think? I think they're a very tough group. Very, very tough group. I mean, I, I, I have, a, you know, Australia, I am a bit worried about Australia um, in this particular tournament. Um, I see them, obviously, India are going to be a challenge because, you know, the conditions, it's going to be very hot and they're going to be much more um, adaptable to, to those. But, you know, outside chances for me would be, I think Australia is an outside um, chance. I, I can see someone like Pakistan get into the semi-finals, but you know England's recent history suggests that they're going to be a threat as well. So I think West Indies are in a, in a very tough group. Well, thank you very much for that, and thank you again for joining me on the Paddock and the Pavilion. It won't be long before we'll be talking about the Ashes. Uh, let's hope we we still line up there in December in Brisbane, and we can review how England have got on down under. 
Stephen, thank you very much. It's a great pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to The Paddock and the Pavilion. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and now on Instagram at The Pad and Pav. Don't forget, if you like the show, please do leave us a rating and review. Sports Social Podcast Network.